You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ash Gartner. Today on Footprints, I'm joined by National Union of Students President Zoe Ranganathan. Her passion for students' rights was sparked during her time at uni when she witnessed the injustices faced by marginalised students. Not content with the status quo, she sought to make a difference, first as the Disabilities Officer at the ANU Student Association, before eventually joining the National Union of Students. She's overcome racism and misogyny to continue leading the charge when it comes to student welfare. Zoe, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Ash. Now, tell me a little about your journey so far. What were some of the things that you were seeing that sparked this drive to create change? So I guess um, I moved to Canberra to start um, at the ANU in early 2018 um, and had sort of been working towards that goal of going to university for my whole high school and, and I thought once I got there that it was going to be a fantastic place and that, you know, everyone was going to be like-minded and, and hopefully progressive and, and sort of had the same ideals. And then I got there and, and while ANU is, is a great place, um, there was still a lot of ways in which students were being left behind. But that was really the impetus for me to, to start getting into student unionism, to get involved in student collectives, clubs and all aspects of student life in order to try and make a difference and try and make sure that when I left university, it was a better place for those who were coming into it. Now, was it something you witnessed or something you experienced yourself as well? Um, I guess it wasn't any big event, but it was just a day-to-day sort of experience. It was it was going to tutorials and, and being spoken over. It was walking around and, and, and feeling unsafe at night on campus. It was people not taking me as seriously in in classes um, or, uh, you know, around campus and at parties and things like that as, say, um, men or or other white people on campus. And that was a slowly, I guess, sort of got to me and and I got thinking, well, there's there's clearly a lot of room for um, university culture to grow um, and for Mm. it to be a better place for students. Now, what was that role as the disabilities officer at the ANU Student Association like for you? Was that your first role in that kind of space? Um, I had taken on a couple of smaller roles, uh, I guess, leading clubs and, and that sort of thing, but nothing that showed me how difficult and how anti-student universities are sometimes in, in that sort of way. Um, the, the disabilities officer role really put into the spotlight how difficult just getting through university is for some students and and it and it really showed me that the the great great i guess disparity there is in the student experience between people who you know come onto campus can go to parties go to a couple of classes and then go home and people who are fighting every single day to try and get access to lecture recordings or or transcripts because they're hard of hearing or, or things like that. And so that's kind of, I guess, what, what spurred me on to, to make me think I, I want to do something more here. There is so much more that I have to give and I guess is what led me into my role this year. Yeah, so when did you decide to make the move to the NUS? Um, I guess it's something that I'd, I'd been wanting to do for, for a while and um, was sort of a very situational thing to come into an NUS position but uh, it happened late late last year that the opportunity arose Mm -hmm. and um, would mean you know that I'd move back down to Melbourne and basically put 
uni on hold a little bit for a year. So it was a, it was a big sort of whirlwind. Um, but uh, it was the end of last year, I guess, that I, I really thought, yeah, no, this is this is the best thing to do. And um, what were you studying at the time? Did it lend itself to this kind of work? Very much so. So um, I'm studying, I'm still studying a Bachelor of Political Science at the ANU. And so a lot of the, I guess, the work and the subjects that I've taken have have looked into politics more, more generally, which obviously, I guess, assists in some way in, in student politics, but then also looking into um, subjects around gender, around race, around um, Indigenous studies, around things like that. I guess that really gave me uh, more of an academic insight into the things mm. that I was dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And what were some of the major learnings that you took away from making that transition into the NUS? I guess less, I guess, hard skills or any like big poignant moments, but a lot of very soft, intangible skills about um, leadership, about how to speak to people that you may not agree with in politics, how to try and bring people, I guess, closer to your side or try and persuade them. A lot of things like that that are very, very important now, things that can't necessarily be taught, but I'm very glad that I had experiences at the ANU that sort of gave me a bit of experience in that. What makes you so passionate about your field of work? Oh, it's a tricky one. There's there's something to be said about young people being able to advocate advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. um and the way I see it is that there's only I guess a short amount of time in which I am able to do this work and give back before I guess my my opinions and and experiences would be a bit outdated in the field and so I think being between the ages of 18 and 25 as young people I think that this is some of the most important work that we can do um, is in the youth sector itself and in the higher education sector as well. Um, I have a strong passion for education and and everyone being able to get access to, to, to a free and fully funded education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think even if I'm able to make a couple of small steps towards that, whether that be keeping a student enrolled in, in one campus or um, starting, you know, a, a student meals program at another, I think that's a small step on the way to, to getting there. And have you seen significant change from the work you've done since you've you've been involved in this union movement? I guess a lot of work in the union movement is quite thankless and it's quite invisible from the outside perspective, but there's quite a lot of things this year that are, are small wins um, that mm. I think that I'm quite proud of. It's been a, obviously a very difficult year to come into the role in, in a post-pandemic recovery. The 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 sector is going to lose $10 billion over three years. And so we're struggling, students are struggling, everyone is. But there's been small wins in terms of keeping, there was a student that I assisted in the Gold Coast earlier this year who was studying natural health, a sort of area that I knew nothing about. Um, and uh, we fought quite hard to, to keep her enrolled after um, she was kicked out for st- or she was threatened to be kicked out after starting a petition against her university calling for better course quality. Um, wow. Yeah. And so that was, I guess, something that's, that's so small and just one student, but um, probably the most, one of the most exciting parts of my year this year was actually getting to be involved in a very specific case. That must have been an incredible feat for you. What did that feel like to have that kind of an outcome that, that's quite tangible? 
Oh, it was great. Like, first of all, we got to connect with with a student and and a field in in I guess vocational and and private education that we don't normally reach. Um, a lot of our reach is normally to the bigger universities at particularly southeastern states. But it was great. I got to I guess connect or not only prevent a student from from being kicked out of a course they really cared about, but help a lot of students there to learn about student unionism, to to find out about the NUS, what we do and how we can help them further, to let them know that there is sort of a body that is on their side and is working purely for them. They couldn't believe that they that we were going to help them um, on this for free. And so it was incredibly fulfilling and incredibly rewarding to know that the union has kept um, at least one student in university this year. It was great. Now, the theme of this season of the podcast is leadership through adversity. What are some of the biggest challenges that you have faced? Yeah, I think there's been a few big ones. Obviously, I spoke about a little earlier what encouraged me to get involved in student unionism. And and I would say the things that inspired me to get involved with student unionism are, are also conversely a lot of the adversity and I guess the knowledge that the adversities that, that I faced on campus, whether that be a lot of sort of microaggressions around racism, misogyny, both microaggressions and very, very blatantly, <laughs> um, particularly in politics, were also the things that made me go, I don't want someone else younger than me to face the same things as well. I want them to have a better shot at university and, and a better time overall than what I faced. And I guess I have tried to to flip those adversities into, into things that have been positive because I think that's probably the only productive way that you can see it. And so I guess I like to think of them more as 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 things that have spurred me on rather than kept me back. Yeah, obviously you've taken those adversities and really helped to guide, I guess, your path now into this union uh, movement and your involvement in, in helping other students. But in the day-to-day, how would you tackle some of those things? It must have been incredibly difficult. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that one of the most valuable things that I've gained in in learning how to deal with with day to day adversities is is the importance of a strong support network. I think particularly as um, as women in politics, as people of colour in politics, the most important thing that we have to rely on is those around us who can empathise with our experience and maybe and for me those who are older than me who had already been there. Um, and who understood and had, you know, different techniques or or even if they were just someone that I could call and, and have a yell with for an hour. At the end of the day, I think that's been one of the the best, I don't want to say coping mechanisms, but best techniques to get through um, sometimes when it's a bit tough. Um, and I think if you can talk it over with someone, if you can have a bit of a plan at the end of the day and a debrief, um, I think that's the best way to, to and most productive way to get through it. Do you think you've seen a shift in some of these areas of concern since your time in the union? Oh, hugely. Um, I think even even beyond my time in the union, even across my now four years at university, um, when I started uni, there were, we were just starting to talk about really misogyny on campus and issues of sexual assault um, and issues surrounding women in politics and that sort of thing. And then over the last four years, we've had, you know, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, which is all of a sudden, it's become a normalised topic to be talking about 
um, race and racism and how we can all do better, which is miles ahead of what I experienced when I was going through high school or in my first years at university. And so it's become in some ways a lot easier to talk about issues of identity. And I think that keeping that conversation going is really important as well as making sure that people are brought along and into that journey as well, that we're not disenfranchising anyone and making sure that as many people as we can can be brought into the union movement, brought into the student movement as well. So we can continue to see that change that we've seen over the last few years as well. What are some of the other big issues that you have your sights set on now? Obviously, you've made so much progress, but is there anything else that that you're kind of looking at ahead to to start tackling? Um, I think the, the next six months is tricky. I'm only in the role until December this year. And so starting anything new is, I guess, difficult. Um, but there's a few things that are in, in the works at the moment. Um, we've got a big National Week of Action planned over the next couple of weeks um, where there are, I guess, where COVID possible protests and actions happening um, on different campuses across the country. Um, we've got a big campaign against a conservative institute, the Menzies Institute, which is being built mm. at um, Melbourne University. And a couple of things around that, the, the issues of, of, of free speech on campus and ideology are popping back up again. So that'll be, I guess, something that I'll, I'll have to be talking about over the next little while. But it's, I guess, with this job, half of it is is putting ideas out there and trying to get certain movements going. And the other half of it is really just, uh, I guess, responsive approach. And, and if, like, I'm sure something will pop up in the next six yeah. months. It's an issue <laughs> for students. Um, and so just jumping on that um, and advocating for a pro-student response as much as possible. Now, have you had mentors or leaders that have inspired you throughout your time? Definitely. I think one in, in my second year of student politics, there was um, another woman of colour who was the NUS president and I don't think I would be where I am without her. She was, if I'm not mistaken, the first woman of colour to be NUS president and she was really able to, one, provide a lot of support in, in my role this year but also, I guess, make sure that I, by default, wasn't like tokenized as much in the role um, because I wasn't, uh, you know, the first woman of colour to do this and the first NUS president to do that. I was kind of just allowed to be Zoe in this role, which was lovely. And I have so much to thank her for in, in doing that. And I call her very often and see her very often for, for help and advice <laughs> where I can. And otherwise, just my parents um, mm. is... is I guess been some of my my biggest support over the last few years, pushing me to do to do more and consider things in different ways, and um, just supporting me whenever we get a big win or end up in a large uh, national broadcaster or in the papers or something like that. So I've got a good, I've got a great support network around me that has, I guess, really allowed me to to stay motivated and stay on track, which has helped so much when, particularly when you're your own boss this year. <laughs> It's a difficult thing to do. I bet. So that mentor, she really, I guess, helped forge the path a little bit then. Definitely. She did. She absolutely did. And it's, I guess, then we saw a lot of social movements pop up. And so it's just been quite normalised now. And it's not not tokenised as much to be a person of colour or a woman in politics anymore, particularly in, in the National Union, which has been lovely. I definitely wouldn't be 
here or probably still in student politics if it wasn't for her. Um, So I, I owe a lot to her, definitely. Oh, we love those leaders in our lives, don't we? Definitely. Now, did she help you form your own leadership style? Um, I think my own leadership style was probably pulled from a little bit from a lot of people around me. Um, if I'm honest, I think she's quite pragmatic and quite planning oriented. And so I took a lot of that advice and I'd talk to her about, you know, planning strategies and quite, I guess, academic ways of dealing with things. And then I've talked to other people about, you know, the, I guess, communication styles and like that sort of side of politics and and drew a few different things from them um, of what I could see would work the best. And that's what has sort of created the way that I've led this year, still changing, and I'm sure it still will change over the next six months. But I guess I've just tried to to emulate what I've seen works well um, in people before me. Did you have an idea of the kind of leader you wanted to be going into that role? I did a little bit. Um, I wasn't sure how that was going to manifest or really carry out and what what leader I would be seen as, if that makes sense. But I had an idea that I wanted it to be a leadership very focused on communication, very, very focused on communication. It's one of, I guess, my the things that I, I think is the most important, particularly in politics as well. And not only just communicating by, I guess, having a team meeting once every uh, month and lecturing at people, actually yeah. calling, <laughs> calling around individually, having a conversation, getting to know people that you're working with, um, having a lot more of a, uh, I guess, a personal approach, even especially given that our team is spread across the country this year, some of them I haven't seen all year. I think that's one of the most important things and, and also at every stage asking for feedback as well, I think is really, really important because often you know, you go around and you're giving people feedback consistently, but you never evaluate yourself throughout the year until the end of the year and you go, oh, I wish I'd done that. So I think that's been some of the biggest advice I've gotten is, is ask, ask for feedback along the way. Ask at the end of every call, is there anything I could be doing better? And that's probably one of the things I think I'm most proud of this year. Self-growth in real time. Definitely, definitely, as, as efficiently as possible. What has that been like? Has that been an incredible challenge becoming a leader in a space where we're in the midst of a pandemic and uh, you're navigating this new territory of leadership while also coming to terms with the fact a lot of your conversations and interactions with people are happening over Zoom or those conversations wouldn't typically happen in those kind of spaces? Yeah, I mean, we've had to change the way that the union operates so radically over the last 18 months now. We we used to have um, meetups in person at least three times a year. We would have two huge conferences of 400, 500 people twice a year at the end of every semester. And that has all been radically changed um, due to the nature of COVID. And we've had, you know, hybrid Zoom online models of conferences and, and, and things like that. And it definitely makes it a lot harder to ensure that students and the people that we're working for know what we're doing and that we're visible to them because we if if you can't get in front of a room of students and and in person say I've done this I've done this come and chat to me during lunch if you need anything it's a lot harder to seem authentic and to get across your message when people are on zoom and have 50 different tabs open and are doing work on the side or something like that so it's been a challenge in figuring out how to plan for this year 
um, mm. particularly when so much is changing every single week. We thought the mid-year conference would go ahead. It sort of did just in Victoria. Um, we're hoping the end-of-year conference will go ahead, but I have very little confidence that Sydney will be able to attend. And so figuring that out during a pandemic and and still, I guess, doing all the day-to-day things that you need to do in, in a union role has been really, really challenging this year, um, as well as all of the difficulties about, you know, keeping yourself motivated, keeping yourself on track, things like that. Um, a huge, huge challenge. What is leadership to you? Leadership to me is a couple of things. Obviously, I'm a massive unionist, and so I think leadership is is about uniting people behind a collective cause and being able to to steer people in in the best way to be able to to achieve a common goal and I think that if you have people going towards different goals then that's not leadership and I think leadership and unionism go go hand in hand and it's also about ensuring that each individual person has buy-in for what they're trying to achieve Um, because if you don't have individual buy-in it's very, very hard to motivate people towards that common goal. And so figuring out what works best for each person and, and doing a lot of thankless and, and I guess, work that is invisible is what I, I, I think is most important in, in leadership. Now, do you have particular routines or tactics, I guess, in your day-to-day to ensure success? I would like to say that I'm very routined and... Uh, get up every morning at five o'clock and go for a five kilometre run, but I don't. Um, <laughs> I think we'd all like to say that, wouldn't we? So I'd love that to be the answer. Um, no, I think I think there's there's a couple of things. I'm very, or try to be very organised. Um, I'm very big on, on planning and, and writing lists and using, you know, Outlook and everything like that. So I guess being quite meticulous with, with that sort of thing um, is how I keep myself on track and I sort of, you know, I read my emails at the start and end of every day or try to at least go for a walk if we're not restricted to. <laughs> um, and then if, I guess if I haven't seen someone that day, I try and call someone at the end of the day, um, whether it's, you know, calling my partner, calling my parents, trying to have some human contact at the end of the day is really helpful. Um, and that's pretty much the, the only routine I've been able to stick to this year. Um, but I find that doing something throughout the day that is, that is not work-related is very helpful, although I'm not very good at doing that, whether that be doing a bit of uni, doing some reading, something like that has been very very good for my productivity and and mental health as well do you find it 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 is tough to strike a balance though when there's so many balls in the air you're juggling so much is it hard to to find that happy medium of work-life balance it's probably my biggest challenge personally in work um is finding a work-life balance um I don't think I have found a work-life balance I don't know what that means yet but it's Often I went the first three months um, of working and then realised that I'd forgotten that weekends exist and I hadn't (laughs) taken a weekend and it was April. A very crucial two days in the week. Very crucial two days. I was like, why am I feeling so burnt out? I forgot that Saturdays and Sundays are not just another day to do work but days that are mandated to, you know, not rest. Um, Yeah, that's that's the point of them for good reason, it turns out. Um, And so... I guess finding that balance is really difficult and 
particularly self-disciplining and saying to myself, you know, no, I need to take a sick day today or I need to take a mental health day or I'm going to take leave for a week and just do nothing um, has been really, really difficult because I, I find it difficult to know when to stop working at the end of the day because there's constantly more work to be done. And with work like particularly in the union sector and with, you know, non-for-profit and, and social movement work, there's definitely a guilt that accompanies taking a break. And I've found that if I take a week off leave or, or, or something like that, I'll get into the pattern of thinking like, oh my God, like I'm failing students. Like what happens if this big thing happens and I'm not on top of it and I'm you know, I'm, I've, I'm, I'm doing a bad job um, and things like that. And you, and you get into this cycle of thinking that you need to continually be working in order to do your job well, um, which is obviously not true, but very hard to, to tell yourself, particularly when you're working from home as mm-hmm. well. It really blurs the lines between finishing the end of your workday and having, I guess, that physical space between work and home, when that line is blurred, it must be incredibly tough to, to draw the line. It is, it is. Now, what key piece of advice would you give to others setting out on a similar journey to you? If you could speak to Zoe at the start of your journey, what would you say to her? Um, I would say stop worrying so much you're going to do fine and keep doing the things that you're already doing. I think there's often a lot of young people come up to me and say, you know, what can I be doing? I want to be doing more. What, what should I do now? I really want to get involved. And my biggest piece of advice is sit back and observe for two years, one to two years, sit there, observe people around you, critically evaluate what they're doing and whether you think what they're saying is, is, is really, really smart or, complete garbage write down questions in in a notes app on your phone or in a little notebook about you know if someone said something you don't understand or there's an acronym that's been used that you don't know what that is or you want to find out more about it later and then call someone older at the end of the day or sit down in front of the computer and google stuff for the for the rest of the night and learn as much as you can and take I guess the advice that you get um, with a grain of salt and, and evaluate it and see how you could do it better. I always looked at at people who were, I guess, who, who brought me into the movement and things like that and with all of the, the love and respect in the world for them, looked at what they were doing and went, that's really great, how can I do it better? And that's my biggest advice and that's, that's something I try to tell as many, you know, first years coming into uni who want to do student politics as, as possible because I think it's the best way to ensure that you have the best shot in student politics and also are learning the most and don't burn out within a couple of years. Sage advice. Zoe, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me, Ash. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify to be notified of our next episode. You can find more on our socials at Footprints Podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.